Welcome back to the Lean Change Management Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Jerry Koch-Gonzalez, who's the CEO of Sociocracy Consulting Group and coordinator of Sociocracy for All. Jerry, welcome to the show and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hi, Jason. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, what should I say about myself? Uh, I, you know, my background is really as a social change uh, activist uh, for many years. And what I cared most about was how do we bring more equality, more sense of equality, everyone's voice mattering into this world. Um, so when I encountered uh, sociocracy, it seemed like an even better uh, system than what I was thinking about before. So that's, that's basically how I fell in love with it. Um, and, uh, I don't know what else. I live in Amherst, Massachusetts. And as you said in your introduction, I work with these two groups. Uh, Sociocracy Consulting Group uh, does consulting for implementations and some training uh, of sociocracy. Sociocracy for All does similar things, but is more oriented towards the nonprofit sector uh, or for people who can't necessarily afford full-fledged consulting. And we do a lot of videos that are online. We do a lot of... Uh, uh, classes, online classes, et cetera, to make learning about sociocracy accessible. And I can maybe just say as by way of introduction, uh, for those who don't know, so sociocracy, that word uh, was invented at the same time as the word sociology was invented, same French philosopher, Auguste Comte. Um, so pronunciation you know, is often a challenge with that word sociocracy. So think of sociology and democracy and put those together, sociocracy. Another word for sociocracy that we use is uh, dynamic governance, mm -hmm. uh, which maybe says a little bit more for people, uh, you know, in terms of English language, governance, that's what this is about. Dynamic meaning it's changeable, it's movable, it's not set in stone. The word sociocracy also, we think of it as ocracy as governance and socio as the associates, the socios. So governance by those who work together, uh, as opposed to sort of the more anonymous democracy of voting for people or autocracy when somebody's telling you what to do, et cetera. Hmm. Ah, excellent. Yeah, my first experience was uh, I saw Dan Lefebvre speak about dynamic governance at one of the, the Agile conferences, would have been probably 2012, uh, somewhere around there. So um, the, the limit of my experience is with uh, the theory, what I learned from that talk and some reading. And um, what I took away mostly was the, the idea of the overlapping circles as being the main difference, that people are um, elected to lead a circle and the circles, the way that the communication flows is that it's not linear by nature, but the, the overlapping circles is what carries uh, messages to different areas of the organization. So the people who are might be impacted by what a higher circle is talking about, actually have a say in, in creating that um, environment. Uh, so that's, that's the, the limit of my experience. Is that, is that in a nutshell fairly close or do you have uh, a better definition? Well, that's, that's close. Uh, let me, I guess, frame this out. Uh, I think of sociocracy as essentially having three aspects, three core aspects. One is what you were just talking about, the organizational structure. Uh, which is people are working in teams that we call circles uh, and all the circles are linked to each other. If you think in traditional hierarchical model, then they are linked from the, from the very uh, sort of uh, 
shop floor level, if you will, to the board of directors level. Uh, so each circle uh, has a, you know, is operating at its level of abstraction or its level of work. The grassroots or the shop floor level being very concrete, doing something very, very specific. Whereas you go all the way up to the board level, they're doing something much more abstract. They're thinking in terms of, you know, five year, 10 year plans. You know, are we staying true to the mission and vision of the organization? Uh, you know, that level. And if you think of the hierarchy, uh, you can also turn that around. Instead of thinking of higher level circles and lower level circles, you can think of just a different language, more broadly focused circles and more narrowly focused circles. And that gets us away sometimes from the, the images of power over that top-down hierarchy brings. Mm -hmm. um, the linkage of the circles uh, means that everyone really has voice and influence through the entire organization. The decision, second element is that decisions within any circle are made by consent. Uh, and consent is different than consensus, and it's obviously different from majority rule or Robert's rules of order kind of majority rule. Mm -hmm. uh, the consent, the question that we ask is, is there any objection to this proposal? Mm -hmm. So the, the bias is towards action. Let's try something. Let's not wait for perfection. Consensus often kind of brings us to the place that people are waiting for the perfect solution. So here we're going for, is this good enough to try? Mm -hmm. um, safe, you know, safe enough to try so that we can get some feedback from our trying and then you know, revise, um, amend, change the policy uh, as, as according to what we've experienced. Mm -hmm. So circle structure, consent decision-making, and the third element, which I just kind of alluded to, is the feedback cycles. You know, what is the learning, what is the evolutionary learning dynamic of the organization? Mm. Uh, so we build feedback into everything. Every meeting gets evaluated, every process can get evaluated, every policy can get evalu evaluated. You know, what's going well, what needs to be improved here? Okay, uh, we go through the lead, do, measure you know, cycle. So you're doing it. You measure the results, then you take a new leading you know, from that uh, and apply it to the, the next cycle of what you're, of, you know, of whatever it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So those to me are the, the three kind of core elements uh, of sociocracy. Okay. So when you, when you see uh, organizations that want to adopt this or when they're approaching you to help with it, What's the underlying reason? Are they looking for a way to uh, have better communication, better decision making? Do they see it as an organizational design and structure model? What is, uh, or do they just hear the word and they think, I want to learn a little bit more about this? Why are organizations uh, yeah. trying to use this approach? Not many people come just because they hear the word. Okay. Although if they hear the word often enough from different circles, they start going, okay, what is this that I should be paying attention to because so many people are kind of mentioning it. Mm -hmm. People who are attracted to sociocracy are attracted to how can we actually embody a more egalitarian structure that still is efficient and effective, that doesn't get lost in, you know, like there could be some of the, I mean, I used to teach consensus, so I love the principles of consensus, which is similar to the principles of consent that no one can be ignored. Um, but the danger in consensus is, does that mean that we're going to stay up until two o'clock in the morning 
uh, working this out and whoever's still left in the room gets to win. Mm -hmm. uh, there's too much debate in, in typical consensus practices. What sociocracy brings is a, is a more clear structure of decision-making. Uh, it brings the, it changes the bar or the, the, the consciousness of what do we need to do to make this decision. That basically what we need is something that will allow us to do the next step and get feedback. So if something seems scary, then you can scale it down and, okay, let's just try this out for one month instead of trying this out for five years. Mm. Try one month and try it out. So the get to your question was, why do people come to this? Is they're looking for a way to act out on some of their values. I'd like to see a more egalitarian world. How do I do this in my company, in my co-housing community, uh, in my association, et cetera? Okay. So the, yeah, my world is uh, helping organizations uh, with uh, agile and lean practices. And, and much of the time they underestimate the effect that has on the, the culture and the structure of the organization. They see it as we want to bring in a better way to execute this project. So I could imagine that with uh, the ideas of the overlapping circles, you could apply it in a project sense. And maybe that's not why it's intended. So I was curious if you, um, you know, if you look at organizations in the banking sector or telecom or, or uh, any more kind of overly structured hierarchical organizations, do they see it just as a process model or are they kind of intentionally wanting to make a shift in, in their culture and move more towards purpose? Yeah. There, again, people come from all different directions. Sometimes they're just narrowly focused on, I'd like to have our teams be more effective. Um, but for me, inherent in sociocracy is a fairly revolutionary idea as simple as everyone's voice matters mm -hmm. uh, which means if you're really fully operating as a sociocratic organization there are certain decisions that are pretty unlikely to be made it's pretty unlikely that the truly sociocratic organization would be choosing to be paying you know extremely high uh, uh, benefits to the ceo mm -hmm it'd be extremely unlikely that a sociocratic organization would make a decision like, oh yeah, let's just move our company to, you know, to another country mm -hmm. uh, where labor is cheaper mm -hmm. because the workers are part of the organization and they're not going to want to move the organization. The workers are living in a community. Uh, they're not going to want to have the impact of their community of having this company leave town. Um, workers in that context are not going to be wanting to make junk they're going to be wanting to make something that gives them a sense of value of what they're doing. Um, so mm -hmm. the products of that company are going to likely to be things that reflect the values of the people who are working in it, or at least shifting towards that. You know, as you realize, oh, we're doing this kind of thing and we don't like it because it's not really that good for the planet. Let's start shifting and we can make those decisions. Um, the challenge, so truly, um, kind of truly hierarchical organizations where the leaders want to maintain control and power are not likely to be interested in sociocracy ultimately when they fully understand it. Right, right. Uh, on the other hand, investors may be very interested in sociocratic companies because sociocratic companies would be ones where the workers have an investment in their work. They really care about what they're doing. They know their voices matter. Uh, and so that means uh, less, less turnover in the business, um, 
less sick time, you know, the, the, everybody's just much more invested. Mm -hmm. uh, economically speaking, in a, in a fully sociocratic company, um, the workers would get both a fixed share of return, you know, their, whatever their pay is, a salary, which in this context would still be related to the, you know, the standards of salaries in the, in the world. And they would get a variable rate of return, you know, a share of the profit, if you will, how well is the company doing? Mm -hmm. The investors, if, you know, if there are investors in a company, they would also get a fixed rate of return. Like, like you would do with loans, but you know, okay, it's a 3% or 4%, whatever that fixed rate is, and a variable rate of return, depending mm -hmm. on how well the company is doing. So the workers want the investors to be happy and put money in to make the work well go well. The investors want the workers to be happy and doing their work effectively because that means better return. Every, you know, it's a win-win for everybody, as opposed to an us-them between labor and management or investors and, and uh, investors management labor. And it is a culture change. And so I think that's what you were referring to also about introducing Agile, uh, that there, you know, like, like in Agile, and so everyone's voice matters. You want to get feedback quickly. You're treating each other as equals in a process. And that starts having implications for the whole culture of the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there are challenges on both ends of those who are in traditionally in power um, have to take a deep breath <laughs> in terms of uh, accepting sharing more power than they, than they have done before. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, those who have not had power uh, also have to take a deep breath and take on more a sense of responsibility mm -hmm. than they might have had before. So there's been some, you know, we can experience some resistance on both ends of that. And implementations of sociocracy have come from both ends, from, you know, a CEO saying, oh, you know, this is good, let's try this out. And so it's kind of rolls out top down. And it also sometimes comes just bottom up. Some unit in an organization starts experimenting and then it spreads from there. Mm -hmm. One example we had, um, it, was a high, it was a high school. And it was the high school students governance system that adopted sociocracy. And from there it spread to the, to the administration. Uh, whereas in another, uh, school it was in the administration and then from there it spread to everyone else right so mentioning uh schools and uh and uh nonprofits as well does it is it does it seem that the the cultures are more predisposed to a more collaborative social way of working already and they need a little bit of structure to figure out what's missing uh yeah those you know sociocracy is most easily adoptable by organizations that already share some values, mm. particularly the values of equality, of listening to everyone. So it's not necessarily a public school because they are so bureaucratized, it's really hard for them to, to be dynamic, mm -hmm. uh, but a private school that has those kinds of values. Right. Uh, I live in a cooperative housing community, co-housing community here in Amherst. Co-housing communities by their nature, People are here because they want to seek more cooperative living. So there's a sense of shared values that makes them more likely, more open to adopting sociocracy. Uh, I think, uh, you know, organizations that are interested in agile already, you know, those that are clear about what that means are more likely to be interested in sociocracy. Right. Uh, startups, you know, where the founders have that kind of ethos, uh, those are more open to sociocracy. Right. 
Yeah, I find a lot of the times going into organizations, um, that's really what they're asking for. They're looking for uh, a better way to make decisions and they want a more co-creative way to, to run their organization as opposed to just being through the hierarchy. And in my world, at least they see agile as the tool to do it. And then, and then they miss out on that other piece. So they miss out on um, things like, you know, you hear a lot in the agile community that leaders need to be servant leaders and they need to stand back and, and let the team self-organize, but that's the extent of it. There's no, you know, how far a friend of mine likes to say, how far back should I stand? Three meters, five meters. There's, there's no substance in there. So I think, um, at least from the experiences I have, I kind of go in with a stance of, have we talked about how we decide things? So really strip away the agile noise and the process models. Cause that's the easy part. You can Google that and figure that stuff out. No problem. But if we haven't had a, a meaningful conversation around how we make decisions, who decides what, what our risk tolerance is agile yeah. is just going to be, um, another, uh, PMO, bunch of checkboxes on your status reports yeah and it can be a little bubble inside of a company that gets popped yeah yeah, yeah. once people realize that it has implications they don't like for the rest of the company they go oh <laughs> yeah we like to call that the eye of sauron effect so you get a team that's kind of working in the bubble and then the eye of sauron notices it and kind of de uh, de destroys it because it's it's too counter to um what the overall organizational culture is like by the time that bubble has to start poking into the organizational boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. what, what do you see are some of the, the, the biggest challenges that, that, uh, that organizations have? Cause one of the questions I had was when people are being elected to lead the circles, what happens if the person who is elected is, is not a manager and there's a manager in that lower circle who's not the actual leader of that circle. Does that happen or? or well, let me just talk a little bit about the nature of circles. Um, if you think of the traditional, you know, if you take a little diagram of the, of the hierarchy of an organization, you know, with the little boxes that go down, which again, you can turn sideways. Um, so you've got a traditional hierarchical structure. What sociocracy does is put, is, is turn the departments or the units into circles so that within a particular department or particular unit, when they're making policy, they make policy as equals. So the manager and the staff of that unit are all making decisions by consent. That circle selects a delegate by consent in an open process, and that's a whole, in the selection process is a very uh, interesting and I think beautiful process in sociocracy. Uh, that delegate, is selected to serve on the next higher or broader circle. And they sit there as equals in making policy choices, including the decision about who the next leader of that subunit would be. Um, so every circle, you know, if, if they're linked, they're double linked. Every circle's got a leader and a delegate, the leader selected from the next more broad circle to the more narrow circle, the delegate from the more narrow circle to the more broad circle. So there's always that double link uh, that allows, you know, that that's, that's what allows in the sense of equality of voice, because it's not just the leader saying things and it's not just how's your department going. And the leader says, well, great. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another voice there that, you know, would give more truth, more, more a full picture of what's going on. It reduces, you know, the sense of, uh, of covering for yourself that can happen in a simple hierarchy. Uh. So, 
if a, if a circle is choosing a new leader for the next unit, the next unit that's more focused, that is the manager. Okay. So there's not a separation between there's a leader of a circle and there's a leader of the department who's the manager. They're the same person. Okay. What can be different is that every unit, every circle can select a facilitator who is basically just a process leader for the meetings, not a leader of the department. That could be somebody who's different than, than the manager leader. Hmm. Um, okay. So when organizations get, get started with this, are they, as far as um, bringing the change in, training people about what this is, creating their structures, do, do they treat this like a change project, if you will? Because a lot of what I see in, in the change world is Agile's brought in and a handful of people are assigned as the, the agile change team and they create the process and they train people and they push it out and then they hit the wall of resistance because they're, they're pushing too hard. Um, do, do people take a different approach because the culture is, is, it sounds like it's already primed to work that way. So how do they implement? Well, I wouldn't, I, I guess I'd say it's in some ways similar to any change process. Um, and, you know, again, how it gets implemented in any organization varies so differently according to the culture and the nature of each organization. But yes, there would often be a change team, you know, who's their core group that's going to think about how this is rolled out. Uh, it's important, it's important, you know, training is important. Having as many people in the organization have at least a basic understanding of sociocracy is key. And having at least a subset of folks being, you know, become really good internal experts is important. Um, you know, facilitation is, you know, facilitation is a skill and sociocratic facilitation is a particular form. So it's useful to, you know, to have that skill and to then coach that skill in among all the different units in the organization. So, um, so yes, I think of that as an organizational change process that can be led through through a team and again with all the focus on feedback um, and being adaptive that as you try things you're also getting feedback from what people are experiencing you keep changing it mm -hmm. i think of sociocracy as kind of an empty method that then gets filled in with the particulars of the of the of the specific organization mm, right so look a little different you know there's a pattern but then how you fill that pattern depends upon your organization. Right. And it is a culture change. So it takes a while for people to feel differently. One of the key, one of the key little things that we do in sociocracy is rounds in a meeting. In a meeting, just, okay, let's, you know, here's the proposal on the table or here's this idea. Let's go around and hear from each person. Uh, that means that's different than what often happens in meetings where the subject is just put on the table and the people who speak a lot will speak a lot and they will keep repeating themselves because they want to prove that by repeating themselves they'll win over other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and the people who are silent, they stay silent and we may not hear what wisdom they carry. Mm -hmm. uh, we may not have a sense of what's going on in the team because we really haven't heard from everybody. Uh, so circles are a way of supporting the equivalence of every voice. Mm -hmm. Once every voice can speak up, the people who speak a lot will start learning to speak less, will start learning to stop over-talking over others. 
Uh, the people who speak less will find that there's more space for them to speak and they don't have to worry about being immediately interrupted or if they can't take 10 seconds to think, then they have no way to have a voice uh, before, you know, if they can't take 10 seconds to speak before they, to think before they speak. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those folks who operate that way often don't have a voice in meetings. They think about it things afterwards. Right. So that sense of creating a culture change within the group can take a you know can take a while. It can take months mm -hmm. uh, until it's like oh now I get it. You know this does feel differently. I have that sense that my voice is valued. And knowing that my voice is valued also means that I have more space to sit back and value the voices of others. Uh, this is much more of a sense of collaborative. This is a team we can start. You know, given that. It, um, given that the membership of the team is fairly steady, um, that also means that we can start learning each other's patterns and go, okay, when, you know, when this person speaks, we let them speak a little bit longer because they, you know, they're not as linear in the way they speak as somebody else. Mm -hmm. You start adapting to who you are as a group and giving support for everyone to be able to find their voice in it. Yeah, I imagine it take, takes a while for that, uh, uh, for the, the level of safety to, um, reach a point where they can have those conversations. I like to use uh, uh, something from the core protocols called safety check. One team I was working with, it's as an outside facilitator, sometimes it's pretty obvious to come in and see a dynamic that a, a team can't see. And uh, we had started this team off by doing a safety check. So um, the, the, a week long sort of team building and working session, we started off with from zero to five, how safe do you feel to speak up and made it an anonymous hole on on stickies and then that that allowed us to have the conversation around well what's what's getting us stuck why are why are some people a five why are some people a two so what's happening there but not trying to push them too hard because it's it's difficult to um force people to want to speak up especially introverts so i'm i'm kind of a self-recognized uh, introvert as well and and a lot of the times it's um working with extroverts it's not wanting to jump in to be rude sometimes so sometimes i won't speak up just for that factor but yeah. definitely the 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 safety component is um something that i find is very important agile any type of organizational change or even project work you know having being feel feeling free to speak up it's very important and round create that potential yeah, yeah. you know and and it's like you say there you know there's introverts and extroverts and then there's you know gender dynamics race dynamics class dynamics you know, we all bring whoever we are and whatever has set us up to kind of have a dominating voice or a, or a you know, receding voice. Uh, and what I like about sociocracy and rounds in particular, that it tends to bring us all into the same, into the same context. Mm -hmm. So it starts equalizing and valuing everyone's voice. People can then learn from that experience and, and you know, learn and grow. Mm -hmm. I always find when I'm when I'm doing work uh, overseas um, in Europe, there seems to be more acceptance of cultural diversity because I think they're exposed to it more. You have people who come from different countries that tend to work together more, which is interesting. So the the level of conversations always seem to be quite different, right? They can they can be very vocal about um, you know, well, he's your your typical um, structured, rigid, quiet Finn they can say things like that in North America. We can't get away with that. We have to m more rely on understanding those differences, but I find it's uh, some teams have a struggle um, dealing with that diversity. So uh, hopefully this, this does give them a, a better way of being able to have those deep conversations. 
Yeah, when we've been asked, uh, you know, is sociocracy kind of a middle class thing that other people necessarily wouldn't understand? And what's interesting is that the largest sociocratic organization in the world is Children's Parliament of India. Hmm. So we've got six to 18 year olds sitting in circles of 30 uh, in their local, in their very local neighborhood. And then it it's also has, you know, the maybe the circle of the neighborhood representatives and so on has a number of different levels. And um, these young people are able uh, to operate, to have, you know, to select leaders, to, to uh, set directions for, for their work that they want to have. Uh, and some of them are not literate. They're able to do that even without having to, to you know, read and write. Um, so it's, it's a lot of, it's, there's a lot of inherent capacity that this, I think this model can bring. Mm -hmm. I think it really brings back the, the human connection. We get so focused in our organizations on, on boxes and charts and process. And we, and we forget how humankind has evolved over the last tens of thousands of years through storytelling and through interaction and through negotiation and conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been a lot of my world the last year and a bit is focusing more on, uh, you know, the, the work of Herbert Bloomer, who talked about um, social movements and how that happens. And I think change in our organizations um, happens in much the same way. So stripping away a lot of that noise and thinking, you know, let's, yeah. it can be as simple as getting people in a room and explaining basic respect for people and conversations and consent, I think can get people unstuck. Um, do, you, do you find there is a particular sticking point when people are, are, are thinking about implementing sociocracy and how are they getting over that? Well, I wanted to step back and just say something about feedback um, because what you were talking, you know, organizations are built on relationships and we often, we're not used to giving each other feedback, you know, or electoral process is giving feedback in a ballot box, which is not, you know, which is not detailed. It's not enough information. So ending a meeting and going, okay, what went well, you know, what, what was, you know, what didn't go so well, what could be improved in what we just did from both product perspective, but also from process perspective, uh, you start gathering feedback. Uh, so it's important for us to, and this is one of the challenges for us to building up the courage to be able to say, you know, it's real frustrating for me sitting in this meeting and having, you know, having you, whoever that is, you know, be cross talking, you know, in the middle of rounds, you know, that we, if, if in my experience, I got frustrated, sense of loss of efficiency, I couldn't really hear everybody's voice. And so that's feedback. Uh, and if this happens, you know, over a several number of meetings, well, that person who's been doing that cross talking, clearly is going to start needing to either shift or we're going to, the group is going to have to address how that person operates in the group uh, and say, okay, this is not acceptable. You know, what do we do here? You know, we'd love to support you in being an effective member. You know, would you be willing to do some training or do some, you know, do some stuff so that you could become a more effective member of the group? Um, and if need be, if that's not possible, then it's, you know, the possibility of removing the person from the group, whether you're in a sense, quote unquote, firing somebody in a paid context or uh, in a volunteer group saying, you know, we need to keep working towards our aim and this is your, your presence is not helping us. Mm -hmm. you, need to have, you need to have that choice. It's not that we would want to do that very often. Uh, we're always looking for how do we develop, you know, so how do we develop the company, the organization, the individual. And I imagine some for some people that this this way of working is is just not a fit for their personality. So they might even opt out. 
maybe they'll try it for X period of time and opt out, or maybe they just don't want any part of it once it starts. Cause I see that in agile a lot is yeah. people with more of a, you know, structured um, process driven background see agile as chaos and they, they tend to opt out fairly quickly. Do you, does the same thing happen when you see this brought in or not as much? I, I think it's, you know, I would agree the personality, you know, some folks are not a fit at this time. Um, you know, we've all been raised, we've grown up into who we are with whatever history has brought us in. And uh, for some, you know, they're listening to everybody, uh, you know, they just want to get things done. Yeah. Do their own thing. So, yeah, there's a place for them to do their own thing over there. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's spaces in this world for that. Mm -hmm. uh, my hope and vision is that over time, uh, as more people feel safe within the context of collaboration, that that will start shifting. Mm -hmm. uh, that both the, you know, from both ends, the people who tend to hold back and the people who tend to over over participate or like to just lead, mm -hmm. they'll find that there is wisdom in the group, um, and it's not so totally frustrating once the you know level of skill has in, is you know is increasing. Mm -hmm. So um, the process of learning that happens, you know, we had one person in a circle that I was in who did a lot of um, interrupting, cross-talking. And over time, this person got it and learned to participate in the circle. But then she also became a leader of another circle. And then I heard from that circle that, oh, she is so rigid about always doing everything in rounds. So the person who was the interrupter in our circle learned well enough, but then became almost too rigid in applying that, you know. So it, I think that happens a lot when people learn something new, they become almost like police about it. And then when you mature about it, you become more flexible and it's like, okay, what is it that really honors the participation of the people uh, in the direction of trying to do the work, the aim that we have in our particular organization? Yeah. I think people generally... Are, are after the same thing in their organizations. They just express themselves differently. So yeah. some people are a little more loosey-goosey and can feel their way through it. And other people need more and can take the structure and the rigidity too far, especially in team dynamics, if you've got birds of a feather happening. So if you've got too many people that have similar temperaments, then you know you don't get that natural conflict that, uh, that can be a good thing. But we all just need to understand that everybody needs something different and how do we respect that? So uh, as we get into the wrap up, tell uh, the audience how they can learn more uh, about you and the work that you do in sociocracy in general. And then what have you got uh, going on over the next few months? Okay. Uh, so I guess, first of all, people can go to websites, um, sociocracyconsulting.com. That's the website for the sociocracy consulting group and uh, sociocracyforall.org. That's the website for Sociocracy for All. Um, the Sociocracy Consulting Group uh, has a mailing list, so you can go to the, the website and sign up on the mailing list. Um, we do, for the general public, we do online classes on the foundations of sociocracy and facilitating sociocracy. So if you go to the website, you'll see the upcoming uh, classes that are being taught online for that. Sociocracy Consulting Group also does in-person open workshops at times and does of course uh, directed uh, implementations in, in organizations you know with, that we contract with so you can find all the information about all of that on on their website sociocracy for all uh, um, 
also does online classes. We have, in a sense, uh, I would say several different levels that we do. The main thing that we're currently doing is something called a sociocracy leadership training. Uh, we can talk about sociocracy, you can even go to a good workshop, but it's hard to really understand it unless you live it. So sociocracy leadership training is a nine or 10 week process where you get to be, where you, we create an, um, a pop-up organization, a real organization that only exists for a short period of time, hmm. where you get to uh, live sociocracy by making decisions sociocratically within that context. It has an organizational structure with several levels, so you can witness that. Uh, you get some training from myself and my, my training partner. And you, uh, you actually, the work in, that is done is to produce information about sociocracy for the general public. So I really love this training model. We are in the second cycle. We're in the middle of a second cycle right now. We're starting a third cycle, February 24th, 2017. Uh, and then another one in April, another one in the fall. So again, people can go to sociocracyforall.org to find out more about that. Uh, the Excellent. current cycle has four subgroups, six people each in it. And one group is focusing on developing more case studies. There are a lot of people trying out sociocracy, but we don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And you know, people are always asking us, well, who's doing this and who in our field is doing this? So that subgroup has to figure out how they're gonna work together to generate you know, several case studies uh, of sociocracy in action. Another group will put on an online event, you know, like a webinar. Uh, and so they need to decide what kind of a webinar, what's the topic, how is it gonna be org organized, et cetera, and then they go ahead and put it on. A third group is uh, working on frequently asked questions, which may be going into creating a wiki, uh, where you know, tons of information about sociocracy is, is available to the public. And the fourth group is working in what we call broadcast circle, is working to bring sociocracy into particular sectors. You know, like bringing sociocracy more into the agile world or sociocracy more into the permaculture world, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, I would certainly encourage people who want to get at that level uh, of, you know, really having a sense of having lived the experience to try one of those programs out. Mm -hmm. We're also developing now, because uh, that's a little bit higher bar to get in, it requires a certain level of commitment. So a lesser commitment is, is a study group format. We've now got a six session study group format. It's, it's, we're still in the testing stage, but probably in another month or so, it'll become public. Uh, so anybody with at least some experience with sociocracy could then gather a group of you know, some folks in their company or their friends and go through you know, a six session series that is kind of guided. Beyond that, we, Sociocracy for All um, does webinars. Uh, there's, again, those are all posted. Uh, I'm doing one coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, what is the topic? I don't, can't remember if it's disruptive, you know, dealing with disruptive behavior or things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, what else? And there are also communities of practice for those who've got more experience. Mm -hmm. Once people are practicing sociocracy or trying to teach it, then there are support systems for, for those kinds of folks. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're a busy guy. Busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, busy. And oh, the other, the other guest resource that's just out there is um, all the videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's um, both basic introductory, basic introduction videos, and there's also little tiny snippets, you know, like the frequently asked questions, uh, which are just like 90 seconds long to 25 minute long videos. Uh, so uh, the the channel is the right now the channel is Jerry Koch Gonzalez with a hyphen Koch Gonzalez. So you go to YouTube Jerry Koch Gonzalez and you'll you'll see all those. Oh, you can just uh, on YouTube search for sociocracy. Excellent. And uh, Twitter account at sociocracy with the number four all sociocracy four all. Um, that's that's our. Twitter's a pretty active account with a lot of little bits that go out to that. Excellent. So for those listening on the podcast, if you go to leanchange.org slash podcasts, you can get uh, references and links in the show notes. And then uh, obviously for the people who are watching this on the, uh, the new YouTube channel, you would have seen them down here at the bottom of the video as we were going through it. Uh, Jerry, this was great. This was um, um, a very pleasurable experience for me. I, I had a lot of fun, learned, learned quite a bit. I'm, I'm glad you reached out. Um, so hopefully this was, uh, this was good for you and, and fun as well. I did uh, one more little thing I forgot to say. So, you know, some of my colleagues are more involved with agile work. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I presented at agile new England in January. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my, my colleague, John Buck is going to be in agile 2017 in India, uh, presenting about sociocracy. Uh, he and, uh, Jutta Eckstein are writing a book, um, mm-hmm. sociocracy and agile. Um, Excellent. I know them both. I've met them both. <laughs> I met. I don't remember where I met John. It had to have been at one of the big Agile conferences as well. But I know I've been back and forth with uh, with him on email a few times as well. So, yep, it is a it is a small world. Yeah. Well, like minded people connect. So <laughs> let's keep doing that. Pleasure to be on your show, Jason. Excellent. Thanks very much.